and welcome to Steminist Stories, a podcast celebrating some of the unsung women of science, technology, engineering and maths. I'm Reba, one of your hosts, a massive science nerd with a passion for engineering, space and sustainability. And I'm Nell, an ex-parasitologist and outdoor enthusiast. And I'm Rachel, producer and resident history nerd. Welcome to Steminist Stories. Hello and welcome to Steminist Stories, our first episode, Engineering. Happy Women in Engineering Day! <laughs> Good day for Reba, our resident woman engineer. Woo! We love engineering. I'll quickly start by saying what it is, because I feel like a lot of people get confused about what engineering is. I feel like I didn't know what engineering actually was until I was surprisingly old, like 15 or 16, probably. I was going to say, until you're doing the degree in it. Yeah, and I was like, what's this? Um, Yeah, no, it's kind of a bit of a mystical scientific art that like uses science to make things work. But basically, it's the use of scientific principles to design and build or develop things. So these things could be structures or systems or machines or processes so it can include stuff like tiktok videos to (laughs) the pyramids to the iphone to a bridge i wonder how the egyptians would feel about that you comparing their pyramids to tiktok (laughs) (laughs) they'd have been all over it (laughs) (laughs) yeah egyptian dancers they're the original tiktokers (laughs) exactly (laughs) you can see it in the hieroglyphs they're just slow (laughs) (laughs) so women in engineering is a bit of a sad one There's not very many of us for a variety of reasons. So in 1960, women made up about 1% of all engineers. 1%? 1% in 1960. And in the year 2000, it had risen to, guess the percentage, so 40 years. In 40 years, I'd like to say in ideally like 20%. Is that as an overshot, isn't it? I feel like it's going to be really much more depressing than that. I'm going to go for 12%, which I think might again still be too high. But Rachel, you're like so close, but it's actually 11% in the year 2000. Oh, However, yeah. by 2018, the Women in Engineering Society, WERS, which I'd highly recommend being a member of, you can be like a public member, you don't have to be an engineer. I like it. They're very sassy. Reported that 12.37% of all engineers in the UK were women. So we are slowly increasing. Oh, wow. Not to 20% though. I want us to be 20%. I want to be 50%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. It'll be like year 2300 and women have finally made up 40% of engineers. <laughs> I was tempted to calculate how many years it would take, but I think I think it would make me too depressed. <laughs> Guess what country has the lowest percentage of female engineers in Europe? Oh, I don't know. The UK. <laughs> You've not got much faith in us. <laughs> Spain? Now you were right. Oh, I mean, I love being right, but I also don't right now. (laughs) I know. So the UK is the lowest percentage of female engineering professionals in Europe, which is missing out loads because apparently enabling women to meet their full potential in work could add as much as £28 trillion to our annual GDP by 2025. Yeah. And when I was, when you look at what women invent, obviously women live different lives to men and historical inventions. It's so much of it is stuff that just men would never invent Mm. or come up with. Exactly. And the population includes both men and women. So we need both things. We don't just need stuff for men. I mean, that's the whole point of diversity, right? Diversity benefits everyone. I mean, my mum always says that I'm like drawn to engineering because my grandmother was a seamstress and making clothes is basically engineering. And it is, it's material engineering. Yeah. Finding out how things work and then trying to build new things Mm. is quite like a... Improvement. I mean, it's just like... Yeah. I think engineering is one of those things that's innately human. Yeah. I mean, I used to love watching how things made <laughs> yeah and I was saying you know when you see like how they make Pringles or how they make whatever God, can you imagine if you can make Pringles at home oh I would oh, be amazing. so big I would be rolling to work <laughs> <laughs> 
Engineering is massive, though. In the UK, it contributes 26% of our gross domestic product. And it's also wow. a really great profession to be in as a woman because it's got one of the smallest pay gaps. Wow, that's really interesting. Around 11%. So once you scrape your way in <laughs> to being part of that money, only 12%, then at least you only get paid slightly less than that. Yeah, if you can do... Yeah, you only get paid 11% less if you can deal with the misogyny it takes to get through the door. Good trade-off. But um, we're going to talk about some really cool women today that have gotten through that door, have smashed that door. Kung Fu kicked it out the way. Yeah. In their skirts and corsets most of the time, which is just extra levels of sass. And we're going to kick off with... One of the Margarets. Yeah, we've got two Margarets today, but I've got Margaret Knight to chat about. So my Steminist story is set during the Industrial Revolution in America. Um, and this was a really exciting time because the roles of women like properly changed as they were then able to go into the world of factory work instead of just being working at home, doing all the domestic jobs and stuff. And in a weird way, this gave them an opportunity to be a bit more independent because they could have a, a wage and support themselves. So, you know, they, if they were widowed or if they didn't want to marry, they could still survive because they had a bit of an income but it wasn't completely all rosy I think Rachel you probably know a bit about that about the conditions and stuff of factory work for women and for children too yeah the industrial revolution is a really interesting period for development of women in society so like on the one hand yeah you have like women joining in the workforce for the first time and kind of en masse and being exposed to this different area which like ultimately started the ball rolling of women becoming more and more empowered to like earn their own money and become economically independent eventually but also the conditions were really truly awful the industrial revolution is before the concept of like proper weekends came into force like any form of labor laws a lot of them were came in as a result of the horrors of the industrial revolution so you have like children and as well as like men and women working excessively long hours and with really dangerous machines like it's really common for people to like lose their arms and hands and especially women and children because they were put on machines which they were given roles like putting their hand into the machines to get stuff oh. to unblock it because they had small dainty fingers. So they'd really often like have limb losses and stuff. And there's also things like just the air quality, like breathing in loads of cotton. Yeah, they called it brown lung with it. It was yeah. just all the dust and stuff was in their lungs and things. There was another one as well that I saw called knock knees because children were standing for such a long time. Their knees were becoming so weak that they'd turn inwards and that was like a deformity it would cause because their knees would be like knocking together. Mm. Just horrific that that was going on and yeah. like you say there wasn't any laws to stop it. Like that was just accepted. I think it's really interesting as a societal thing though that we use terms in history like oh it's the first time women were in the workforce on mass and I think that's really interesting because obviously before then women were working really hard on the land and they were working really hard in the home and they were working really hard in farming but you know having babies and doing the laundry and cooking for everyone isn't work in society it's not economically valued in the same way but if you took that away imagine the chaos <laughs> well I, I saw a really interesting thing where they um someone calculated how much it would cost to like do all the things that a wife does uh -huh. a classic wife be a therapist and a cook and a taxi service and a cleaner and a personal assistant childcare, and it came to like 123,000 pounds a year it's like the economic hidden economic value isn't it of like mm-hmm mm -hmm. Traditionally, female stuff is often seen as not being important, but then actually without it, all these other things just wouldn't exist. You don't get the next generation and you don't have the elder generation cared for. No, exactly. And it's also really restrictive for men to be like those are female things to do because then they don't get to be involved in caring for loved ones in raising next generations. You know, it, like it limits everyone. But I think it's really interesting in terms of the Industrial Revolution because... Again, there's no concept of like healthcare or maternity mm -hmm. care. I know like I grew up in South Wales and we do lots in school about like the history of the mines and stuff. I remember seeing pictures of very heavy, heavily pregnant women like pulling carts of coal. It's truly 
It's so disturbing. In a way, these terrible conditions uh, started off our Steminist story into reality because our lovely Margaret Knight, what happened was she witnessed when she was in a cotton mill, and I think she was only about 12 years old, someone get really injured by a metal-tipped kind of shuttle. I have no idea what that is. I think it's to do with like a loom. Oh, okay. But I think it just flew out and like, probably pierced someone's flesh somewhere. Oh. Um, <laughs> and yeah, at 12 years old, she invented a safety mechanism to prevent this from happening. And it got adopted and became like a standard fixture in most of these factories, which is, is pretty mega. And she never really got any, well, she never got money for it. She never really got any recognition for it, really. Probably because she was only 12 years old. But how boss is that? That is so cool. And I think it goes back to what you were saying, right? About how, like, engineering is ultimately... Innately human. Yeah, innately human. Like a 12-year-old just seeing something going like, oh, I can work out how to fix that. Yeah, being like, oh, that went wrong. How could I change that? And I mean, you can see some animals use engineering. Like, there's monkeys that use rocks as yeah. tools. Mm-hmm. After the Civil War, when she was an adult, she joined the Columbia Paperback Company. And when she was there, she noticed, oh, these bags aren't very good. Um, Because before, the bags were really weak. They didn't have a very good shape, which meant that they just rip easily and all things like this. So she's actually the person that came up with the iconic flat base of a paper bag. So before they went like that, and having that flat base made them so much sturdier. That's so cool. I love that she's just seeing things and being like, oh, we could do it this way. Yeah, so she was like, this is amazing and I'm going to patent it. And I think patents are very dangerous territory for anyone, really. Because when she went to go and get this patented, apparently they had already been patented. Someone had already put it forward and they were like, this has already been done before. And a, a man that had been working there had seen her machine and like decided to patent it for himself. Oh. Uh, so typical, isn't it? <laughs> so this guy, Charles Annan, had been working close by and had seen it and gone, I'm going to patent it. And when she tried to say, hold on, she wanted to file a patent interference lawsuit to say, you know, he didn't come up with this. Now, I don't know if this is completely true. It could be a bit of uh, gossip, perhaps. But he said, a woman could not possibly understand the mechanical complexities as his argument for saying it wasn't Margaret that came up with the idea. He was allowed to legally say that argument in a courtroom. I mean, I don't, this is what I mean. I don't know if it was uh, just hearsay, but... Allegedly. Yeah, she still won because she proved with all her diagrams and all of her evidence that she designed it. She even had people coming in and saying, no, no, we saw her designing it and whatnot. So she actually managed to patent the machine herself, which That's so good. I don't know how often that, that happens in favour. I mean, even now, like women inventors account for just 13% of global patents. So 13% now, which means that we won't, reach gender parity until 2070 if we carry on with this, with this rate, of, rate of growth and she's like fighting for it back yeah. when was this 18 1871 is when she first tried to get it wow but you know what she's an absolute legend because she tried to get that one they tried to stop her she fought for it and she continued to then do 87 patents throughout her career 87 wow um she invented about nearly 100 new things like shoe cutting devices rotary engines dress and skirt shields like all sorts of random things um and the great thing is is the fact that we're still using them today like we still use that paper bag Mm. we still use the stuff and if it's not used exactly as she created it it's just been improved on um and modified throughout time so she's got a proper legacy that's so impressive and i think the guy trying to steal credit like even if he didn't say in a court of law oh (laughs) no she couldn't possibly have done it because she was a woman i mean the fact that he filed a patent for something that she yeah 
knowingly came up with it's like clearly he still there must have been a part of his brain that was like well i can get away with this because she is female mm. so like the attitude is still there isn't it yeah 100 percent. and it's quite sad as well because one of the quotes she said is i'm only sorry i couldn't have had as good a chance as a boy Aww. because the thing she what 87 patents and she managed to do that despite not really having an education being a woman and also not having the money because like you said it was hard to get patents across and it's hard to be inventive if you're not getting the money through and, and mm. things like this so despite all those barriers she still did so well and it's kind of sad to think imagine if she was a boy imagine how different it would have been i think if she was a boy she might not have come up with all those things though she wouldn't have seen things differently like how many people were working in that paper yeah. bag factory just making those paper bags oh yeah that's I think true. that's the thing like that's why we need diversity of thought because we need people who come and go why are you doing it that way you could do it this way that's so true yeah. fresh pair of eyes that is so cool what a boss but, i mean rachel is there anything you wanted to to give us a insight into with painting there was a long period of time where women weren't allowed to file patents and I can't remember when the first woman did it but it wasn't that long before and so much of it was cultural as well so like there's often this idea that like women couldn't possibly invent stuff and women weren't allowed to be part of engineering societies and go to universities so didn't have the education to necessarily know how to claim credit for their inventions and when they tried especially if you were married it was often being like oh it's probably her husband that helped her come up with this thing or who designed it for her and I mean, you can see that, like, that goes on until really recently. Like, I mean, mm. the fact that the statistic is that 13% of patents are filed by women, it demonstrates how big a gap, because you can always guarantee that women are not only inventing 13% of things. No. Oh, exactly. Um, and there's whole bunches of issues around that, like, with um, an issue that companies often own patents. Mm. So you have to be, if you're inventing something and you're working for a company and you're an employee, then what you invent will often be owned by that company. And normally the companies are run or owned by men. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that things like Kickstarter will help? Because I'm like, I hope that with more communities like Seminist Stories and other kind of powerful engineering groups for women, that there'll be more like community funding for people to apply for patents and stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely think that it makes a difference in terms of people getting credit. Like you kind mm. of already see that with a lot of like tech companies we talk about this in another episode more but like tech companies do a lot of crowdsourcing of funding which means that ideas that would traditionally be locked out of normal funding routes are suddenly getting more money mm. um, and that happens with inventions too like I can't remember what it was exactly there was something about um, a breast pump so someone made designed a new type of breast pump because breast pumps are really heavy and hard to use and you have to sit there being milked like a cow effectively <laughs> and someone invented one that just goes in your bra and you don't have to hold and instantly makes it like a woman's life 10 times easier and trying to get funding so he came up with this idea and went to try and get funding it was turned down by a bunch of men because they were all like oh no why would you want to invest in this thing oh but they love boobs though anyway didn't they <laughs> but then by doing crowdfunding they then got they got what they needed to like move forward yeah definitely it's interesting though isn't it that whole notion of like like men having credit or having legal rights over a woman's invention because the next person we're going to talk about, Hertha Arten, I can't work out if her husband is a goodie in the story or a baddie. <laughs> so some sources I read say that he was really supportive and he didn't collaborate with her because if he had done, he would have got credit over her as both her husband and the man. Yeah. And other sources say he didn't collaborate with her because he didn't think her work was very good. <laughs> Savage. I hope it's the first one, to be honest. We'll pretend it's the first one, shall we? Yeah, I really hope it is the first one. Give him the benefit of the doubt. And also, her work is awesome. So she's actually born Phoebe Sarah. She took the name Hertha as her main name from a like sassy anti-religious poem that she read in her teens. <laughs> so she was born in 1854 and she's an engineer, mathematician, physicist and inventor. And so she couldn't really get an education and she went to work as a governess when she was 16. And then she became friends with this girl called 
Ottilie Blind, who encouraged her to go and study for the Cambridge University local examinations, and also took her to suffrage meetings where she met a woman called Barbara Bochanon, who was the leader of a group of feminists, and she was also very wealthy in her own right. And she'd co-founded Girton College, which was the first college in Cambridge for women. And she was so impressed with Hertha's mathematical ability that she sponsored her to go to university. Oh, I love that. Wow. Raise your sisters. But yeah, exactly. It's like women raising women. It's like all this like great sisterhood stuff. So she went to Cambridge, but at that time, Cambridge weren't allowing women to get degrees. Fun fact, women weren't allowed to get degrees from Cambridge University until 1948. <laughs> so she instead got her degree from the University College of London. During her studies, she invented something called a stifilomograph. I'm definitely not saying that right. <laughs> that records the pulse in arteries. So it like helps with blood flow. Oh, wow. And like if you've got like nerve damage, that kind of stuff. And she also invented something that helps architects to divide up lines and like parallelograms, um, which is really cool. Very diverse kind of things she's done then, isn't it? Like yeah. Like and then architecture, weird. So diverse. But that uh, Barbara and another woman called Lady Gold's Goldmid gave her the money to take out the patents. So they sponsored her. Sugar mamas. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she shared her inventions at the Exhibition of Women and then she went on to attend evening classes. She got married to a guy called Will Arterton, went really heavy into the suffrage movement, and she made a significant discovery in 1893, which was the electric arcs that were used to produce bright light. They were buzzing in the street, and she discovered it was because of oxygen. She published this work, and it was a raging success. The Institute for Electrical Engineers invited her to read the paper in 1899. She was the first woman ever to be invited to read their own paper. Wow. wow. That just shows, doesn't it, the difference of having, like... Sponsorship. Sponsorship. So, like, the difference between Margaret Knight and Hertha being that Margaret was having to fight for so long to get any form of credit, because Hertha managed, like, did have these people giving her financial backing. She was able to claim credit for her inventions and able to do things like go to university and actually present her work. Like, Margaret didn't get invited to anything, and it's just... It is a shame that there wasn't people around at that time to sponsor her and lift her and support her. It's really cool. I mean, she was the first woman to receive one of the prizes as well from the Institute for electrical engineers and she spoke at the international electrical congress in paris and that was so so successful that it led to the establishment of allowing women to serve on general and selection committees for scientific councils in the uk which is huge she's also a really close friend of marie curie which is awesome and when marie curie's discovery of radium was attributed to her husband she conducted like this vigorous campaign in the press <laughs> and said that errors are notoriously hard to kill but an error that attributes to a man what is actually the work of a woman has more lives than a cat which i love i think that's so sassy that's fantastic i love the fact that there's like this whole story is based around like women supporting each other yeah i think that's like this era of especially was like so big with the suffrage movement like trying to get the right to vote and so much of like this people and so many of the women we talk about in future episodes kind of interlink with that of like are inventing things or creating things and then are at the same time a part of suffrage and are pushing for like sisterhood in like yeah. so many different ways and supporting other women it's so important we're better together rather than pitting ourselves against one another like it's so important to raise your sisters honestly i say that all the time me and my best friends at uni we all go raise your sisters when we share our exam cheating <laughs> little sheets i also think you don't you know you don't want other people to face the barriers you faced right like if you've smashed through them 
you didn't want them to just be re-established behind you and she was just she was so good at like using the press and the media which i think is really interesting because a lot of the time even now the media is incredibly sexist yeah i'm surprised she had influence there so like like another great example is she worked independently on the formation of sand ripples by oscillation of water so she worked out how sand ripples are formed and during world war one they were using a new gas chlorine phosphate and mustard gas which causes like horrible blisters on the skin and like eats away at the inside of your lungs and was killing loads of men in the trenches. Truly, it's horrible. And she came up with an application using the way that water makes sand ripples to move air away from the trenches, which was like going to save loads of people's lives. That's so cool. And it's called the Arten Fan. But the war office didn't want to use it. Like they dismissed her invention. And she conducted a massive press thing, like campaigned the war office and got loads of stuff in the press about it and how like it could save people's husbands and sons and brothers and friends. And in the end, they issued the fans to soldiers on the Western Front. And she spent the rest of her career involved in the research relating to clearing noxious miasma from mines and sewers. Yeah, so they all became her biggest fan. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) I love how much she's just like so good at propaganda as well and being like, oh, this thing hasn't gone my way. Let me just, or for my friend hasn't gone her way. Like, let me just like launch a massive media campaign. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the credit I deserve. It's like, she's like, there's an injustice here. Everyone must know about it. (laughs) And also she seems to be clever in that she knows like the buttons to press. So she knows that government will listen if it's all over the papers and it's making them look bad yeah because people are gonna be like i can't believe you wouldn't employ a fan to help my family survive and like save my brother my father and whatever like they'd be sweating if that was in the news so in the end she registered 26 patents five on mathematical devices 13 on arc lamps and electrodes and the rest on the propulsion of air that's so cool I'd love to have a dinner with her. Imagine a dinner party with them all, with Marie Curie, with her, like all of them, all the boss-ass queens and sugar mamas all sat around. That'd be great. So cool. It's really good though, isn't it? Like as you go through history to see more credit, these women being like, I'm getting credit for my inventions. I'm doing this. And you can't say that I'm incapable of doing it. And if you try to say I'm not, I'm going to make a campaign about it. Yeah. I'm going to get it out there. I'm not going to sit in silence and just go, okay. It's part of that like well-behaved women seldom make history thing, isn't it? Like make a noise. Yeah. Be loud. Too right. But I think it's part of that thing as well. Like women are told to be like, you know, there's more of a thing of like being modest. Yeah, you know, like if if boys are a bit bossy, they're called like assertive or confident, and girls are called bossy. Yeah. And actually, you should be being bossy. You should be saying, I did this and it was really cool and it works and it can save lives. Yeah. Yeah, that whole like taking credit thing being seen as like unladylike when Mm. it's like, well, no, you just invented something really cool. Get the credit. (laughs) Conduct a massive media campaign and, you know, campaign (laughs) the war office to get it out there. Like, (laughs) it's really interesting because I think as we move through history, it becomes less like women don't have economic power or women are intellectually incapable of producing this stuff and it becomes more like maybe it's not safe for you to work in these areas, which leads us on nicely to our final woman, Margaret Partridge. The second Margaret of the day. Um, (laughs) All the Maggies. Yeah, Margaret Partridge. So yeah, she was really cool because she um, changed the law in the mid-30s. Basically, so there was this rule in place that women couldn't work past eight o'clock at night and this is because it was deemed as like not safe for women to be out and, you know, they at risk they were by themselves but basically so she was a um an electrical engineer which is uh someone who specifically designs builds and maintains electrical systems one of the many different categories of engineer that exists they're the sparky ones that often have spiky hair (laughs) yeah the sparky one uh and she she's the first woman to wear an english village with electric light in 1927 
So in the olden days of electricity, in the 1800s, it was usually supplied to towns and cities by like small electrical companies. And she was one of the people who would go and wire up these like villages to the local power station and provide them power for the first time. And what's really cool is she didn't just like do this by herself. She also did things like offering scholarships to school leaver girls to train them up in how to like how to become an electrical engineer and give them like the opportunity to learn that she had amazing again women lifting women yeah so as a big difference between her and our previous two women she actually managed to go to university i don't think without with too much difficulty so she graduated in 1914 with a mass degree and was going to go into becoming a teacher like women were expected to do but instead went down the engineering route which is really impressive so she took on these apprentices and one of her apprentices, one of the girls that she had as an apprentice was found to be working after eight o'clock at night. And there was like this whole like palaver around it and they were trying to stop her. So she just launched a campaign to get the law changed to say that women should be able to go and do jobs that required them to be out at night. And she actually managed to get the law changed, which is so impressive. What was the point of that law? Keeping like stopping women going out after eight o'clock was the idea that it was like for our protection but what is it protection against what against men yeah obviously yeah (laughs) so men are putting laws in to protect women from themselves yeah but also it's like it's like the reclaim the night protest right yeah oh women shouldn't go out alone at night women should not wear attractive clothing women should make sure they have trainers on so they can run away women should make sure they're talking to someone on the phone that one's the most heartbreaking one to be like expect to wear trainers because you might have to run like that is so sick maybe we should be saying women can do whatever they want and men should stop killing women men wear high heels so you can't run after women yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a much fairer rule it's interesting though it's important to fight it because i'll see like these things happen all the time like one of my friends is walking in a park in bristol yesterday at half 12 and got flashed at no like half 12 in the day like lunchtime talking to her mum on the phone so it's not you know it's it's any point it's like it's so bad to think that violence against women and girls only happens at night or only happens if you dress a certain way if you wear a certain thing i can just tell you for free i mean i know this isn't that bad i mean it's still not okay but where i'm from the cat calling the honking the shouting out the cars and stuff it happens that much that if it doesn't happen one day i feel personally a bit offended like i mustn't be looking too good because it happens (laughs) that often i'm like it's like pavel of dogs I'm, I expect it to happen whenever I leave and it's the same like my friends came to visit and they were always shot like this is intense it's quite bad it's interesting because my, so my friend after this incident yesterday she rang me and she was like I've had this really horrible incident I'm upset and I was talking to her about it and I said what's your parents say and she went oh they all laughed it off oh no like her mum was like yeah I've had that three times and her dad said oh tell them to look for a hardened criminal which is hilarious but also like that's your daughter <laughs> I know but I think because it is so normal in like how you live your life and it's just what you do that you you do kind of make jokes about it and laugh it off because also what else can you do we trivialize it yeah if you treat every instance that like every time you got catcalled or flashed or groped or whatever as like a really serious thing then it would just be nearly impossible to go and do anything wouldn't it exactly I think that's the thing we do stuff in spite of it yeah and it's like you know it's a societal reaction to it so it's really cool that she changed the law yeah I think that's what's so good about Margaret Partridge it's like it's not that it was completely safe for women to be out at night by themselves because there were these attitudes towards women that women out by themselves at a certain time of night must be prostitutes or must be oh, I see. whatever. So it wasn't like it was completely safe. It's just that she thought, well, despite that, I want to go and do my job and I don't want to be punished for wanting to do my job properly. So I'm just going to go and get the law changed. Also, it becomes such a kind of insidious, horrible patriarch control thing if we go it's not safe for you to go outside past eight o'clock therefore you can't work in those jobs therefore you can't earn that living therefore you can't be independent 
codependent therefore a man has to control you and then you get you know probably way more domestic violence situations than if you say yeah no women can go out and work at night and there's a slight risk that one of you might get like attacked which is awful but the rest of you will have like independence and freedom yeah and actually she's really big on sort of independence of women as like one of the motivations behind what she does so she um she was went to like the first meeting of this organization that was set up in 1924 called the Electrical Association for Women, and the whole point of it was to free women from domestic burden and drudgery by using electricity and making it more available. And a lot of her work about like wiring up villages and giving them electricity meant that women's, specifically women's domestic lives became so much mm. easier. And the electrification of homes and then the inventions that came along after that, often invented by women as well, like the dishwasher, obviously much later down the line, but things like the invention of like, or like electrical cleaning items and things like that meant that women were much freer to then enter into the workforce because first it was the first time that like domestic work wasn't necessarily a full-time job anymore because you didn't have to manually do everything so. My grand talks about like washing day, like because she was quite poor growing up. They obviously like they didn't have a dish, didn't have a dishwasher until she was like in her forty uh, dishwasher, a washing machine until she was in her forties. And she talks about like the clothes would take like two days to do by hand, and your hands would be like bloody and raw, and you'd be like scrubbing them against what's basically like a massive cheese grater type thing Ugh. in a in like a bucket of cold water. And she talked about like how long it would take and how tired they'd be afterwards. And then, like, you're just, like, scrubbing the floor. Because you don't have a hoover, like, or a mop. Like, scrubbing the floor would take ages. And you just think, well, obviously you didn't go to school as much. Or obviously you didn't, like, go out and have a job. Yeah. Because... You didn't have time to invent. You didn't have time to whatever. You're working for 14 hours a day and you're, like, really tired. Yeah, and the argument of, like, well, women can't go into to the work- workplace and can't go and get an education because they're needed in the home. has a lot less sway when actually they're not needed anymore. Yeah. And also just having lights in the evening in winter, for example. Like, suddenly you can do... Not that it's good that this was the attitude still, but women could come home and do the house housework after mm. they'd worked rather than it being a thing that they have to do it in daylight hours. It's interesting because when I think about like actually how many of my friends have mums that go to work and come home and then do the domestic stuff in the evening. I don't think it's an attitude that has changed. I know I'm not doing it. I can tell you that for free. No way. <laughs> absolutely no way there was um i can't remember where i read it now there was this study though that was done which was like like couples rated how equal they thought they were yeah and like how equally they thought they split the housework and then like also like how like how feminist they were and things like that and nearly always men would put themselves at like 45 percent, 50 percent and be like yeah i think we do about the equal amount and then women would be like he does like 20 percent <laughs> of the work max it's like the emotional labor stuff so like the guy will be like i did the washing up so i have done half the work because she cooked and then the woman would be like well i planned the meal and looked at what we had in the fridge and went and did grocery shopping and then I cooked it and then I had to think about the fact that like we have to feed the kids and what they're eating differently and then he did the washing up the timing of it and the one kid won't eat green the other kid won't eat red food and And then the guy's like well I washed some plates equal work (laughs) I think we're moving in the right direction but I think like I mean we can see that from the stats we're just moving too slowly but hopefully we'll like you know we'll gain momentum as we're moving like I mean it's still like when I was studying engineering it was definitely a minority of women but that's why it's so good it's happy engineering day today women in engineering and and that's the whole point we're like celebrating it making it happen also there's loads of amazing women that have already smashed it and if they smashed it with what they had to face we can continue to smash it with what we're facing yeah exactly i think that's why these stories are important they should be told in schools and yeah be aware of them because it's part of that thing in science where we're like oh women didn't contribute to this field yeah they did they're just not shouted about quite as much if you don't see people who look like you or who come from your background 
doing these things it's really hard to imagine yourself doing it like I know that growing up I didn't see people I didn't really hear about women in STEM and so I never really considered that a path to go down I mean I came to engineering later because I always liked science and physics but I didn't do it for GCSE because all of my friends who I wanted to spend my time with were doing art subjects and that was funner I didn't want to sit with like you know all the boys I didn't really know and wasn't really friends with and do those subjects they were all dry and boring and they were all factual and that's so untrue like engineering I maintain is the most creative of all subjects it's the most creative because it's literally inventing stuff it's merging two things together to make something new it's finding a solution that can help in hundreds of different ways i think it's so creative and in schools we teach it as a dry subject as like a learn this like this like it's fact and it's not at all that's not what it is yeah i think it's really important to kind of see a different thing so i don't think i remember like hearing that engineering was a thing when i was growing up i mean even when i was studying it like when i was doing my master's we were doing group work and I remember a guy being like, just let the boys do the maths, it'll be easier, be quicker. And I was like, what? And he was like, men do maths quicker, it'll just, get, it'll just get done quicker. And then my friend, who's female, being like, no, we can do the maths. And this guy turned to his friend and went, oh, she's clearly on her period. Eh, no! <laughs> I was like, every stereotype. That is every single stereotype in one conversation. My God. And on that really cheerful note... <laughs> I think that's all we've got time for in this episode. But like we said, if if you look at these women, like despite facing all these different blocks, they managed to like push through it, invent stuff and get credit for what they did. I think if anyone listening has an idea, go for it. We'll post some links on our on our socials about like places you can go for more information about filing patents and stuff because we need more more women with inventions and also it might seem like a boring invention like the bottom of a paper bag but actually you don't know who that could help we should thank our amazing margarets margaret knight and margaret partridge a surname that i love and the amazing hertha arten for their awesome work and sisterhood yeah and all the other female engineers out there doing their own thing thank you so much for listening happy international women in engineering day to everyone thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Steminist Stories. Tune in next week where we'll be listening to more amazing stories from women in STEM. And don't forget to follow us on all our social media channels. Thank you to everyone from our behind the scenes team that makes Steminist Stories possible. Yeah.